Well, it's good to be able to be with all of you today and to be able to share in the Word of God. We are in the book of Nehemiah. For those of you who haven't been here, we have been taking chapter after chapter through the book of Nehemiah and letting this book just open up to us. But we are in chapter 9 today of Nehemiah, and this is where we'll be taking some, some time as in, in our study this morning and letting the Lord speak to each of us. And I, I'm just amazed. Uh, I shouldn't probably be saying this to you really in some ways, but it's just true. God just, His Word is so amazing that every time you open it again, it just comes out differently. And I will even find a time, well, this is probably what the lesson will be. But the longer I come before the Lord, it's like, here's another part of it. And here's what God is doing. And you praise him and you thank him. Let's read the first three verses of Nehemiah chapter 9 together as we enter into this. There's a lot of verses. We will not be able to cover them all. But there is a lot of messages we do want to look at this morning. Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon them. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. Think of that. And another fourth they confessed and worshiped their Lord, their God. Now think of that. We'll be before you just a few minutes today, but think of how long they spent before God reading the word of God, fourth of the day, and confessing to God and praising him a fourth of the day. But, but I, I want us to notice something that's interesting here. The wall has been built the city is standing in its glory. There's not a lot of people yet. But they come together, the sons of Israel come together in sackcloth and ashes. Now sackcloth is similar to what we know as gunny sacks. They're bags with holes in them. But they would use them when they were going to fast or seek the Lord in a powerful way. And they come before the Lord in sackcloth with dirt upon them. You say, hold it. Uh, the wall is built. It's time to sing praises to God, shout to God. And rather than that, they are coming in sackcloth and ashes. They are coming before God. And, and not only that, we're going to see they're confessing their sin to God. Now, 52 days, God had done a marvelous work there. And it was a work that no man could do except he found he would work through men. Only God can do miracles. Only God can change things completely. But as they were building that wall and looked at the wall after it was complete, I wonder what brought them to this point that all of a sudden they meet God at the wall in sackcloth and ashes. They are repenting and confessing their sin to God. Is it possible, I give you this to think about, is it possible they looked at the wall that had been erected and say only God could do it, and they look back and they say, these walls that once are so beautiful now, and all the gates are finished, one time just laid in ruins. And is it possible they looked from the natural to the spiritual, and they said, that's us too. We were just in ruins we are in ruins, and they recognized we are actually nothing without God. And maybe someone said, we need, we need to pray to God. We need to confess. And I want you to notice something within this text as they did this. They confessed, uh, they separated themselves from the, all foreigners. They said, we're going to do business with God. That's all I, I'm just giving you a simple lesson in the second verse. And confess their sins and iniquities of their fathers. But notice with me first, it was their sins. They had got convicted that they had sinned. Sometimes in confession, uh, some until we're not quite there yet, if we say, Lord, but if my dad or my mom, or if I wouldn't have been born here or there. But they were at the place of saying, we have sinned, and 
we have sinned. And they were confessing to God in sackcloth and ashes. And, and these walls were, that were there were just coming down, maybe walls toward God. I put for a title this morning, it's, it's not about the wall, it's about you. You know, a lot of times you're, you're, we've been talking about the wall and everything that's being done. But really, it's, it's greater than that. It's deeper than that. It goes further than that. And these people were seeing it. It's about me. It's about where I am with God. And they come to this place of confession. You know, I don't know how many of you uh, take time to look very often at these teeter-totters, but they're coming they're becoming more prevalent in all the parks in creative ways. And I remember as a boy, we just had the one-foot-wide ones about uh, 12 feet long, but something like that, and a handle or a bar, and we flew, went back and forth today. They're getting exceedingly creative. But one person goes up and one person goes down. And here we see the people on a teeter-totter. The wall is built. They're so thankful. They're praising God. And then they begin to confess their sin. And all of a sudden, it's like, God, is it me? And maybe they would have looked at that wall and said, am I guilty of bringing the wall down? Not the natural wall, because there it was that, uh, that they were battered and beaten by the enemy, and they used the battering rams. We spoke about that last week, and they used all kinds of big, 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 large sticks to hit that wall. But maybe they were seeing something else, a spiritual lesson as they looked at the natural. Oftentimes, that's what God does with us. When I, when I see the Word of God, it's like a teeter-totter also. You can look at truth and truth is encapsulated in the entire Word of God. But on one side, you'll find praise and thanksgiving. But you'll, on the other side, you'll find repentance and confession. And it's all there. You'll see love of God. But you'll also see the justice of God. You'll see the firmness of God because He is gracious but he's also just and God is that person and you find these contrasts throughout the Bible I want us to look at a real quick outline of what you'll see in this chapter um, and it'll come back on different ways but the first thing I noticed here is they were reading the word of God when they came to this point they were people of the book they had found the word of God they were reading the word of God and as a result of reading the Word of God, they confess their sin to God. Expression follows confession. And here they confess their sin to God. And also with this, if you'll notice with me, they confessed in the verse 3 and worshiped the Lord their God. Not only did they read the Word of God, they not only did they confess the word of God, but they worship the Lord their God. And out of the worship comes all kinds of praise we'll see a little bit later. But oftentimes we never come to the place of praise till we come to the point of confession. Until we get to the point of realizing it's me, Lord. It's not my brother. It's, a, it's like that old uh, hymnal. Uh, Lord, it's not my brother. It's not my sister. It's me who needs you. And I believe this is where these people had gotten and they realize that we have failed you, God. And then they reflect, as we go further in the chapter, we're going to see them looking back. They'll be looking to God, but they'll be looking back saying, you know, Lord, we let you down back here. And they'll turn around and go back to God. And they'll praise Him more. And at the end of the chapter, we're going to see that they make this agreement in writing with, they'll covenant with the Lord. Lord, because of all this, this is what we want to do with you. Now, when you look at this area that, of Jerusalem here that had been beaten down by the enemy so many times, we talked about that last week, the attacks of the enemy was 52 times, the city had been razed all the way to the ground twice, and when you look at this, you realize that here came the Romans, uh, those are the last ones that came, but the Persians, the Ethiopians, the Babylonians, and it keeps on going. These were the ones that came. And they wanted to destroy God's city. But every one of them had one thing in common. They were idolaters. 
the religions through which they practiced in and cultures through which they operated in were those cultures that were driven by idolatry. Now, idolatry is one of those things that kind of slips through the crack if we're not careful. We see the symptom up here. We see, we see the fruit. We see the action. But the root of often all sin, and I don't want to say all, but many, many sins is idolatry. At the root of sin is a sin in the heart that puts something between God and man. It can be in their situation our religious system. It may have not been a God-honoring system. It could have been an idolatrous system. It could be um, men worshipers. The Word of God has been full of this throughout the, 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 the Bible. But it is that which exalts something, someone, some form above God. And because of that, these idolaters went after God's house and went after God's people. And I believe that maybe even with these people, they may have looked and said, maybe we're no different. Maybe idolatry has ravaged us also. Maybe something has got between us and God. Maybe something slipped in there in a way. And you know what's interesting about idolatry is often it's subtle, but it also comes in a nice form. Good people. You can idolize. We can look for... I pray that as the years go on, even in this church, that always we will look through the pastor to the God of the pastor. You know when Elijah was caught up from heaven and he was gone and he left Elisha there and no longer was Elijah going to be there? You know what Elisha did? Elisha said, where's this God? He didn't ask for Elijah back. All he wanted was his God. I want to follow the God of Elijah. That's who I want. But here was this, this bombardment of idolatry coming at the people of God. The church of God is no different. You can look at all the ways the church is attacked, and it comes through outward, inward, upside, downside. I have watched it right here. I saw the enemy ready to come through the door. And at the very core of the, of the attack, it is idolatry. It is something to get our eyes off Jesus and on somebody or some form or system or organization, and God says, no, keep your eyes on me. 2 Timothy 1, 3, verses 1 through 5. One of the brothers here shared these verses with me the other day, and I, I greatly appreciated the, these as we look at symptoms that come from idolatry. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Paul tells Timothy, it isn't going to be easy. You're going to get hit everywhere. For men will be lovers of self, self-love, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. Holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such as these. And here, what Tim, Paul is giving Timothy is a whole category of symptoms that come from idolatrous behavior. Each of these, do, there, you see nothing here in idolatry, but underlying See, idolatry is a sin that's underneath the surface. It's hidden. But it's, when, it, when it grips the human heart, it has a tendency to bring out all the things that Paul just brings, gives out to Timothy and much more. And here it was, I believe, even as we see these people confessing their sin to God and saying, God, we failed you and so also did our fathers. They were realizing, oh God, we're no different than the wall you built. We crumbled too. You know, one of the things I've learned about churches uh, is, and God for some reason put us in a lot of churches working through a lot of problems. For about 20 years, I, I was a, a pastor in 
uh, churches that was, I was called to go into all these troubled churches and sort out all their problems. And they didn't call us until they couldn't figure it out. They'd fought long enough. And you'd get together and you'd say, hey, tell us what's going on. But I saw one f- common thread everywhere, everywhere, in everywhere I've worked like that. And that is, Jesus is no longer on the throne. Something else is. My way, my system of government, my philosophy, my ideas. And all of a sudden you realize, see, the problem wasn't what they thought it was. You can't tell them right away, the Holy Spirit's got to do this. But the problem is the, is the reality that they're on this terrible teeter-totter flipping back and forth, but God got off the throne. He wasn't there. And I'll tell you, if there is one thing that I pray, because I'm an older man, and I realize God God will take Pastor Joshua and use him long after I'm gone. But there's one thing on my heart, and that is, God, may you stay on the throne of this church in every way. On the throne. As a King of kings and Lord of lords. No other gods. No other idols. Give Pastor Joshua, the elders, all of us, that vision to see that. Call it out. Stand for it. I have watched idolatry roar at this church. I have watched it try to come right smack through the door. It's why I said yes to God. I said, I will not, by your grace, allow idolatry in this church. The King of kings and Lord of lords must be king. Now, I want us to see something else that can happen. I just want you to look at this before we go on to the shift of the chapter in Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. You see something else that, that Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and he is addressing a problem that subtly, subtly happens in churches, if not, and in religious systems. Let no one keep you from defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels. Taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is... From God. I want you to notice with me one phrase in, verse, in the 19th verse, not holding fast to the head. Not all of a sudden you lose sight of the head in the middle of religious activity unless you step back and say, God, give me the vision. There comes a time in the child of God's life when you take the word of God and you say, Lord, I've got to take all the rest of that stuff out to meet you again. I can't meet you running. I can't meet you carrying all my bags. You got to lay them down. And I think this is what these people were doing. They had worked hard for 52 days. The Holy Spirit had worked mightily in all their lives. But something had happened that had convicted them that they needed to repent. They needed to come, come back to God. Now, repentance is hard. Some of the hardest words to speak in the English man- language are three simple words, I have sinned. It's hard for a husband to his wife. It's hard for a wife to her husband. It's hard for a brother to a brother. I have sinned. It's hard. But repentance, when it comes, it's a change of direction, a change of mind, change of direction. It affects the attitudes and the actions. And when that step is made, it is just different. And we're going to see this with these people. You know, when I leave here today and I go up, we live up just north. We take the 303 up to Happy Valley Road and we turn right and the first stoplight is our, our light. And they're doing a lot of work there. You turn left and you're into our little area. But I've, I've went down that road quite a few times and missed the road. I don't know if you've ever done that. I think it's a little more senior, but I think it's also uh, not uncommon. But if I miss the road, how do I get back to that point? 
You say, well, Lord, I'm on cruise control, and I got my cruise control just right. You've got to take it out of cruise. You've got to stop, and you've got to turn around. And the fastest way back to the point you're going is turning around. But you can't turn around unless you stop. If you try to turn around on the run, you're going to flip your car. Now there at Happy Valley, there's something we can do. I could keep on going and go all the way over to uh, Lake Pleasant Road, and I could come back that way, and it'll take me 20 more minutes. And a lot of times as Christians, we try to do that too. We try to take a different route to repentance. I just don't want that. But if we turn around and go back to the point we're to be, it is so easy. And it is such a blessing. And I think the enemy does something in the mind to make that a big thing. We think, I can't do that. What if they hear? But when we do it, there is release. And you're going home. You're connecting with God in this amazing place that God, and I see some of you brothers and sisters smiling because you understand this. You understand this path of repentance that these people we're going down. But you see, something had happened there. They had looked at the natural and they saw the spiritual. They saw something carnal to see something internal that showed carnality too. And that brought them to the point of repentance. There's a lot of times, God gives us, if we will watch and listen, He gives us a lot of indicators. He really does. He'll put a lot of paths out there. He'll say, I mean... Here's, here's a great one, guys. What's your heart like with your wife? That's a really good one. Because he's just saying, where are you at? Because so often our nurturing, our caring, it's just right there at this point. And here it was, though, these people came and, and all of a sudden, just like this, they repented. You know, think about this if, uh, for all of you here that like sports. If you were going to choose one player to make all the difference to the Cardinals this year, who would it be? Uh, what, what position? Who's the guy? You got 22 players out there, don't you? 22 players, a bunch of specialty players, and you look for the guy, and you probably won't get the guy to sit in the Super Bowl. A lot of times we look for the guy. This was true in the time of Israel. They looked for kings and and Samuel, the prophet Samuel, says, no, the Lord's your king. He's already there. And what the word of God is saying, I believe maybe these people are getting this at this time, is I'm already here. All you got to do is turn to me. All you have to do is turn to me, and I'm there. And he's there in the most amazing, abundant ways and doing so many things. But flesh wants a superstar. The Spirit says the Savior's already here. We say, if I could just have the right, if I can get the right technique, I'll get out of the problem. The Lord says, no, if you'll come to me, you'll get out of the problem. I will set you free. I will set you free. I will let you go. I will give you that peace and joy. Now, what we want to do is we're going to go keep looking. And here's a big list in four and five. I'm not going to read all of those because I'll probably miss a couple pronunciations. When I was a boy, my parents would just say, we'd have devotion. They'd say, say, J, B, K, S, B, S, B, C. And we, my brother Joe and I got liking that pretty well. It was a fast way to get through those tough chapters of Chronicles. But these people had confessed and worshiped the Lord, and all of a sudden someone, maybe someone had turned around, and here in the, fifth, the end of the fifth verse it says, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And out of confession came blessing. After confession comes blessing. All of a sudden, joy comes after sorrow. I love that verse in Psalms. I've grabbed that many times in the Christian life. That weeping will endure for the night, but joy will come in the morning. And when there is even weeping and confession, you'll never outgive God. God will turn around and bless and bless and bless. And then they went on in the, in the same verse, or the next verse, arise, bless the Lord your God. Oh, may your glorious name, God, 
be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. And then all of a sudden, you notice how, how it begins to change. It changes from we and they to you. And they begin to turn to God. One of the beauties of confession, and God's probably not work, done with the work of repentance and restoration in our heart until we finally change to you. If it's about them, I've noticed that with our little children when we used to discipline, they said, yeah, but my other brother, maybe, or my sister, nope, probably not quite there yet. You go back, you. And in, the, in this chapter, I counted 55 times in this translation I'm studying from, the word you was here. You, God, you, God, you, God, you, you, you. And the yous just kept resonating. I glanced real quick, quickly and found 10,335 times you is used in the Bible. Not always in reference to God, but many, many times. They were now looking to God. And see what happens is as we begin to confess and praise, we turn from ourselves to Him. And once we see Him, and it's a beautiful cycle, really. It's, it's just a great cycle of a Christian's life. Once we see Him, now it becomes about you. Now remember, the you we're looking at here goes through us to Him. And remember we said that the title, it's not about you. About uh, it, it, no, how, how do I do this title? I, the, the title? It's not about the wall. It was about you. But sometimes we've got to see the you to realize the value of this you, and then something happens. There becomes blessing and confession and adoration and praise and thanksgiving. One verse, two more verses in Colossians chapter. 2 verses 18 through 19. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by taking delight in self-abasement and the worship of angels. Taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast the head from whom the entire body being supplied which is held by joints and ligaments grows to the growth of God. There's another word we find in the Bible, I believe, and again, looking at my translation, was 5891 times. It's the word I. And just look at this. So look at how many more times you is used than I. And what we're going to begin to see now is the, the people that were there at the wall confessing now change to you. Verse 6, you alone are the Lord. 7, you are the Lord God. 8, you found his heart faithful. You are righteous. Nine, you saw the affliction of our fathers in the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders. You divided the sea before them. You came down from Mount Sinai. Fourteen, you made them know your holy Sabbath. You provided bread from heaven. You told them to enter in in order to possess. You swore to give them the land. Seventeen, you are a God of forgiveness. You did not forsake him. And we could just keep going on and on and on and on. But what we're seeing is a picture of the most lopsided love story the world has ever seen. And they were seeing it too. They were saying, God, it's about you. It's not about me. It's not about that wall. It's about you. You see, in this church, we are blessed to have a sanctuary. We are blessed to worship here. But it is not about us. It is about Him. It is about His greatness, His power, His might. And this is where the people of God were getting here. They were getting to see, Lord, it was like that teeter-totter just going this way. Lord, it's about you. It's not about us. It never was about us. And their, their life changes from confession to thanksgiving and to praise. And Christ's God-centered speech that glorifies Him. And, I, and you know what happens when, when God does this uh, in churches? It doesn't matter where those churches are. Those churches are in the will of God, growing to the glory of God, blessing in tremendous ways. When our eyes are on the King of kings and Lord of ours, our speech is about Him. 
our praises about him, everything changes. Every dynamic within the church changes because he's getting all the glory and all the praise because it's all about him. And you just keep following, following them down through this chapter. Now, as they keep on going, they said, they would keep on just, you said this, you did this, you did this. But like in verse 16, but he says, but our fathers acted ignorantly. They become stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They did not deny the unfaithfulness of past generations. And I believe there's a place even within this sanctuary to realize um, this church has been under attack of the enemy from the day I walked in the door. I, did, I didn't know it. But, I, but I, I guess I would just confess to you, there's probably no Bible-believing, God-fearing, Christ-centering, honoring church that's not going to be under the attack of the enemy continually. But I saw the enemy try to walk in this store so many ways and places. There has been so many changes. From the time I became an elder here, there's only one elder besides me there. But I've seen one thing for sure, that when God is in control... And when you keep looking to God, He will do such amazing things when we will give Him all praise, all honor like these people are doing. You give Him the glory. doesn't mean there won't be a battle. It doesn't mean there won't be a warfare for our children and our grandchildren. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have some struggling marriages. But what it does mean is when you've got God, you've got everything. And you can stand in the strength of God and walk out these doors and, and carry no fear. God is with you. And He is leading and guiding you in every way. You know, it was just a little over five years ago when Debbie and I told all of our friends and family and colleagues and business associates and church congregants goodbye in Washington State. And we packed up and we come down here and we didn't even know where he was going to church. I had owned property here for five years, but we didn't have a clue. We walked in these doors, and I sat right over here and prayed that God had given me one brother, just one brother that I could have breakfast with. And this guy named Bill and I went out and had breakfast. I had no idea where God was going to take us and what he was going to do. And in that time, he has taken us through much. But I have never seen a time that God has been unfaithful to lead and guide when we will turn to Him and give Him everything we have. He wants it all. You know what, what was happening? It's so easy to stand at the wall and see the wall and say, it's so beautiful. Isn't this nice what we've done? But you know what God wants? He doesn't want that wall. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want the city of Jerusalem. He wants us. The whole passion of the heart of God is to have a relationship with us that we are like a friend all the time. Just a friend he loves and we love them and we can walk with him and we can find great, great peace. I have four, I think four pictures from the apple orchard that I brought down. We were up in the apples yesterday and the day before. I want you to stop. If you can hold that one for just a minute. I jumped over that last time. That is a, a, a block of fruit that is produced beautifully. It had Fujis in it. But you know what the thing was with those Fujis? They were not bearing the right kind of fruit. They looked good, it tasted good, but it wasn't marketable. So you know what we did last fall? We chopped all those trees down to this high, eight years, nine years old. And we grafted new little shoots of Cosmic Crisp in here. And that's very expensive. And you set yourself back three years in production. But there's a reason for that. Because you know the cost is, the profit is worth the cost that you're going to pay to get there. But you got to do it. You got to have the patience. You know, the Word of God says we bring forth fruit in our season. Sometimes we, we all just want to go out there and bear. It take, it'll take three more years before the first of that fruit will come off of that tree. And the Cosmic Crisp is the new one coming on. We have many Honeycrisp in this block. But we'll go on to the next one. I'm going to give you just a couple quick pictures here. Now that's an older Honeycrisp tr tree right there, ready to be picked probably this week. Deb and I, we, we decided to go and grab this grocery, these grocery bags. And what happens with us is we get greedy, kind of greedy and grab. We fill up our suitcases and we leave things in Washington with our kids. And we come back down. And I was thinking we was doing great till we got to the TSA security. And... Those guys kept running mine by, back like this. And, and I think, oh, 
I wonder if they just don't want to condemn it, especially if they knew they were Honeycrisp. See, Honeycrisp are the best. I mean, I mean, if you haven't eaten them, they're the best. It's like, it's like that psalm that says, taste and see the Lord is good. This one here is it. I mean, it's selling like crazy. It's hard to raise. You treat them 22 times with calcium alone just for bringing nutrition, nutrition to that tree. Deb's comes through. We were going through, through two different aisles, and thanks, Deb, reminded me of it. Hers goes through, and they stop her, and I, I'm, I'm waiting in Seattle going, what happened to Debbie? And about that time, you know, I don't know if you've ever been there, you think, was it the rapture, or was it, uh, you know, she wasn't there. And what they'd done, they grabbed her suitcase, and they pulled out all of her apples and checked them out one by one by one. And that was what was there. But that is, that fruit will be of no value until it gets off the tree and goes to the places to go. It will have no value. You can stand there, you can look at it, I can grab one and eat it. But that, that, that right there, someone asked me today, how many how many's on that tree right now? Probably 250 or 300. It's a freestanding older tree, one of the, one of the older ones in that orchard right there that I have. And, but, but half of those will go to the ground and be dropped because they aren't marketable, because they have one little blemish. And the American people are so finicky, we won't buy it if it has a little blemish. That's who we are. Go to the next one. Uh, this, this is a Granny Smith block. Those things are 10 years old, and they're bearing, if you look at all those green or Granny Smith coming, coming on, that will bear a, like a record bearing this year. And now we've reached a place that the fruit blessing of God is so heavy on that tree that we have to rebuild the entire support system around those trees just to hold the fruit. And in one month, it's all gone. And it all leaves. And you can't be there and you can't walk in that field without realizing God intends to bless others through this. Go on one more. I think I have one more here. Maybe another honey. One more honey crisp uh, tree. That's a smaller one. That tree's overloaded with honey crisp. It will not even make it to harvest. Oh, limbs pull up and they're going to break. So I took one of my granddaughters out there and I said, let's pick some honey crisp. We'll take them home. That's where we got them, right from that tree. I started pulling out, and she just started stripping them. I says, Elia, no, let's pull selectively because we want the tree to stand for harvest. But one of the keys of God, he thins fruit to make it better fruit and sustain the fruit. And you'll see it all the time. The, fruit, the thinning, the hand thinning, everything else is unbelievable that goes into this kind of thing and very expensive. But with this, fruit comes what happens when that hits the market and people eat that? They are blessed. They are blessed. They thank, they're thankful. Matter of fact, first time, first elder meeting we ever had here, I asked our elders, I'm going up to Washington because we're picking Honeycrisp. Well, I like apples. I like apples too. I thought, you haven't eaten Honeycrisp. So I brought back a couple of bags and said, try this one. And they go, wow. Because it's just like that psalm, taste and see the Lord is good and God is very good but there's something that's so amazing is god puts that there not us and that very orchard you i will tell you this i told the other congregation 10 years ago was not bearing enough to even i was i was having a loss every year in that orchard until the day came that i surrendered that orchard completely to god i thought i had done it and i said that every bit of this crop is yours god and you take that crop and put it where you want it to go because it isn't mine it never was mine and forgive me if i ever thought it was mine and er from that day on it just kept on going and god began to speak because god wants a surrender from our hearts and he wants it to happen in a way in which not only do we bear fruit and not only beautiful fruit not only desirable fruit but fruit that's shared. It leaves us to go to other people. Many times, Christians can become fruit containers. We can go into churches and enjoy it so much, and God says, no, go home to your friends, your families. Be a neighbor to your neighbor. That is so grassroots. It's so generic. It's so truthful. Be a friend to the person down the street. Share the fruit of Jesus. And it beats that all to pieces. That, that tree only has 10, 20 more years to live until you'll, we'll go in there with a bulldozer. I may be, may be gone. Knock it out. Rip it up. Start all over again. But the fruit of the God's Word endures forever. And these people were coming back to this as they were repenting before God. And they were coming to that point 
of repenting. Now, as we come to the end of this message today, I want us to see these people were so convicted, like in verse 32 is an example, they just turned in all the use of God. They said, now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenants and loving kindness, do not let all the hardships seem insignificant for you. They're saying, God, you're there. Oh, I'll just tell you, it's been... You know, you, you know, I come in here, most of you don't know me very long. And, but God has just had us in a lot of different... He's blessed us in so many ways with children, family, I, my lovely wife. But He has placed us in some really difficult places in churches. Really difficult. And I didn't know it. I always wondered, how did I get here, God? But when I'd go in that orchard and spend time, spend time in that orchard, I would look up and say... God, you, you're, you're everything. You're everything. You bless in every way. You're so amazing what you do and how you do it. And it's more abundant than you can even imagine. And these people were coming to this place. But something happened with these people in verse 38 that I, I want to leave with us as we come to the end of our message today is they had, they had seen the Lord. They had confessed their sin. They had praised God. They had saw God. They looked back at the, some of the mistakes of the past, but they went right back up to God. And finally they said, okay, because of all of this, everything here, we are making an agreement in writing. If you look in verse 38, last verse, and in this, on the sealed document are the names of our lead, le, leaders, our Levites and our priests. They said, because of all this, we're going to, God, they're not cutting God a deal. They're making a, an agreement from their heart, and it's so much different. I'm not a buy-in guy. I've worked in many business relationships too, and I've always said, no, I want everyone here to do it from their heart. And if it doesn't happen... And I believe this is exactly where they were at this time. They said, we're, we're making this agreement. And their heart, they, ha- they were saying, we're going to make a heart commitment to God to follow Him and to do His will. You know, they were really making 300 times in the Bible, I've, I, I've noticed covenants are referenced. They're made, some, of them, some of them are made by men. Some of them are made by God. Men usually break their covenants. Usually they make statements they can't fulfill. God never breaks His covenant. Never. He fulfills His word every time. And as they were coming to the place of saying, we've seen that now in you, God. We've seen what you've done. We're going to make an agreement. But God had made an agreement with them a long time before that he'll never break, an irrevocable agreement that he will never break. I love the passage in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and in their mind I will write them. You see, it's different now. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And God is saying, When I make a covenant, I write my covenant on your heart. When I make a covenant, I do not remember anything against you of evil. I forget it. I've written the covenant. And I believe one place it says, once I swear in my holiness, I will never take away that, that word. And God here, as we look at this, He says, and I will put my laws upon their heart, their mind are right then, their sins and lawless deeds, I'll remember no more. And God keeps His Word. You see, it isn't about us. It's about Him. And when it becomes about Him, we almost forget about us. But as we keep following Him and forget about us, He opens the doors in ways that we can't even imagine. But He always keeps His word. And because He keeps His word, we can say yes to His covenant. All He asks us to do is agree with Him 
that we needed a Savior. Agree with Him that without Jesus, we're nothing. Agree with Him that His blood cleanses all sin. Agree with Him that He wants us to receive that sacrifice in our heart. And He says, I'll take care of the rest. Matter of fact, God, you know what God will do? He says, I, I love this. I love this of the Word of God. It's one of the, the heartbeats that just speak to me so deeply. God just loves to keep working in people's lives to bring them closer to Him. He just loves it. But behind it all is this one great agreement that came at a place called Calvary where the Son turned to the Father and says, I will go and I will give my life and I will sacrifice myself for them because I'm a covenant-keeping God. And that will allow them to enter into a covenant with me that will never, never be altered because my word is my word. I am sovereign. I will never leave you and forsake you. To the person, he says in John 8, 37, to the one who comes to me, I will never cast them out. So just think of that one person. We all have that. That one person. That one person. And God says, no, there's a place right here at the table. Oh, you know one of the reasons that we made big decisions here in this church that really hurt in many ways? I'll tell you why. Because right across the road over here is a bunch of lost people with families and children. Up and down. And more than anything else, I wanted them to have a church home. I wanted them to have young people around that would, they could grow with. They could walk with. I wanted them to have a young pastor that they could uh, learn, learn through and walk with. But more than that, I wanted them to see a covenant-keeping God that would never leave them or forsake them and could take their families and their children and pull them right out of the pit and put their feet on a rock and establish their going. And it's happening right now in this sanctuary. There's many churches around here. We're just one. But may God give us the hands and feet who have, who have moved into the covenant with Jesus Christ in this covenant keeper, this one that is so secure. He's the rock that never changes. He's the well that never runs dry. He's the light that never goes out. He's always there. And he says, I just want you to enter in. You know, I, I've got to tell you this because I've done a lot of business stuff over the years and you're always looking for how the teeter-totter get balanced. This one don't get balanced. It's always this way. God is carrying the load. He's carrying it. But you know what he does? This is what I've noticed about God. He'll be there. He won't keep us up here like this, like we might have done when we were kids. He won't do that. He'll gently bring us up. And we can look him in the eyes. And the ground is so beautifully level at the foot of the cross that he can look at every one of us and not only say, you're my child, but you're my brother. You're my sister. You're my friend. More than that, you're my bride. And someday I'm going to marry you. Someday I can't wait. And I don't think God can wait. I think he is just waiting for that day. But it's not about the wall, is it? We've been looking at this a long time. But it is about us. But more than that, that we would see Him. And once we see Him and know He's God, our Savior and our Master, then it becomes all about Jesus. All about Jesus. And everything changes. And I don't know where you are today, and I don't know where you've been at the wall. And maybe like me, I, I mean, I just spent a lot of time looking at everything happening. But maybe... God is speaking to you today to come back to Him and just confess something that He wants you to confess. It is so easy. Because He who listens, He's a faith, merciful and faithful high priest, ever living to make intercession for us. What, 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 the, what I get out of that is He's just waiting for the one whisper, Lord, that's me. I've messed up. I've sinned. 
You know what's interesting is there isn't one person here that would like to have it all revealed. No one, including me. But God already knows. And God loves us. And, and I want to encourage here today where God would speak to you about confession. That it could just come from your heart and you could speak to him and say, Lord, it's me. I need help. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your strength. And one thing I love about this covenant-keeping God is that he loves the very worst person there is. He loves them with an everlasting love. I believe Jeremiah says that love is just everlasting and he reaches down and he keeps loving and loving and loving. And there's someone here today, there may be more than one, that says, I, I don't think it'd work with me. I want to tell you, I was a wreck at one time in my life. I had no desire for Jesus. And I watched Jesus at 19 years old shake me up, and I was a stubborn guy. And shake me up and break me and strip me and bring me to re repentance. And then I reached, I watched him over the last 40 six years just reach his arms out and pull me closer and closer and closer that's all he wants you know sometimes we want the Lord for a savior but not for a friend really he just wants to be our friend he just wants to be the person that will our best friend and we can just talk to him and he's right there and he'll never turn us away ever as messed up as we are and as many things as we don't even want to tell everyone here, the beauty of God is he's a perfect friend and he'll never share it. He'll take it. And I'm going to encourage you to confess what God lays in your heart today. And if you have not confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is the time. You've got people around you confessing things. There are people here confessing things before God. It has come up in minds People resist it. If you haven't confessed Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, it is so simple to just simply surrender right now and say, Jesus, I confess you as the Lord and Savior of my life. You are the one that made the covenant. I accept your covenant, your offering. I ask you to come into my life and cleanse me from sin. And I repent of my sins. Have your way, Lord Jesus. And oh God, may you have your way in the sanctuary, in every heart, every life. May you speak, oh Father, as you choose to speak. You love as you choose to love. You forgive in the most unusual places from our mind, but it is so common with you. And God, I pray that in this sanctuary, each of us can just confess to you what you are laying in our heart and say, Lord, I confess sin to you. I ask for your forgiveness. In Christ's name, amen.